All right, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Up until this point, we've been kind of going slowly through the book of Genesis, seeing how God created the world, how the world began, and what all that entails. And really, it gives us a picture of how our world is where it is to this day. So we've been going really slowly through uh, Genesis up until this point. Today, we're going to kick it into a different gear, all right? So we're going to start hitting some bigger chunks of Genesis, and we're going to see some bigger themes arise, all right? So we're going to cover Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15 today, all right? So we'll be here till 3 o'clock. All right, so we do have an 11 o'clock. I feel bad for the 11 o'clock service because, like, there's no time limits to that one. So at least you got a time limit, okay? All right, so how many of you would say, I believe in God's promises? There you go. How many of you would say, I believe God's promises are really great? All right, good answer for a church right there. That's a good thing that you would raise your hand about that. I think, uh, you know, here at a church, we would all, most of us would raise our hand and say yes to both of those things. I think the reality is that some people struggle, though, and maybe it's you in this room, saying, yes, I believe God's promises for the future are great, but I don't know really how they're to help me in my current circumstances. And there seems to be this gap in life between what we're presently going through and what God has promised for the future. You're like, yeah, God's great. He's got a lot, a lot of great stuff planned for me in the future. But the diagnosis that a family member just got doesn't line up. Or God's got great stuff for my future, but what we're dealing with with a kid right now is really difficult. Some of you, you feel that, yeah, I believe in God's promises. I believe they're great. But yeah, I kind of agree with that too, right? I think God's promises for the future are great, but I don't know how they really affect my current circumstances. That's what we're going to talk about this morning because we can kind of go, man, I I think my, the, the promises for the future, they're set, right? But when I think about present circumstances, I don't know how secure I am in what God is doing in my life currently. And so we're going to look at a guy named Abram this morning. And in Abram's life, Abram becomes Abraham later. So if I say Abraham, we're talking about the same person, all right? So a guy named Abram, you might, even if you didn't grow up, like coming to church regularly, but maybe you went to Sunday school in some church at one point, they sang the song, Father Abraham, all right? This is where we're getting this from this morning, all right? So um, the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is, how do you bridge the gap between your present reality and your future eternity? How do you bridge that gap between your current circumstances and what God has promised for your future? All right. So we're going to do this really fast this morning. All right. So you got to buckle up. We're going to spend a significant amount of time in chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to fly through the rest of chapter 12, 13, 14. And then we're going to slow down again in 15. All right. So there's going to be a lot to cover. And I got 31 minutes to do it. All right. Here we go. Take a deep breath. All right. So. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God comes to this man named Abram, and what does he tell him? Go. Where does he tell him to go? We don't know, right? Abram didn't know. I want you to go somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where the destination is, Abram. It's not many of us that would go, Yeah, sure, I'll sign up for that plan, right? Like, But that's what's
Now, for some of us in this room, we've moved a lot. Some of you have moved many, many times. You're like, oh yeah, moving's just a thing. It's hard for a season and it's over with. But moving during this context was really difficult. There were no U-Hauls to bring all your stuff with you, right? But more than just that, the actual moving part is you were leaving the safety and protection of your extended family here. Because what would happen is you, you didn't just live on your own over here. You kind of lived with your family clan, all right? For lack of a better term, you kind of lived in a compound among your family and the people that you knew, all right? And so when you left that, like God's calling Abram to do, you leave the safety and protection of your family. So this is a pretty significant thing that God is asking Abram to do. And he says, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your kindred, and I want you to leave your father's house. So it just gets increasingly worse. I don't just want you to, I want you to leave your country, but I want you to leave people that are kin to you. I want you to leave the closest family members that you're related to. Leave that kind of safety and protection and just go, all right? So how in the world is he going to respond? Verses 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation. This is what God says. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he goes, Abram, I want you to go, but I'm going to send you with a promise. And that promise is I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, if you remember last week, chapter 11, you get this group of people and they start to, they say, man, we want to make a name for ourselves and we want to make our name great. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a tower and when that tower is going to reach to God and God kind of laughingly looks down and has to come out of heaven and say, yeah, that's not going to work because you think life's about you and you want to make a name for you. Life's never been about you. From the beginning of creation, God was in existence before he created anything else, before he created people. So this life isn't about us. The life wasn't about those people that were trying to build this tower. They were trying to make a great name for themselves. This life was about God. And so God says, yeah, this is not going to work. He scatters them all around. He confuses their languages. So it's a, it's a tough place. And this world is growing more sophisticated, but it's kind of dark and hopeless. A bunch of self-centered people are being scattered across the world. That doesn't end well, right? So now God's calling this guy named Abram, go from your country, but I'm going to make your name great. At the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make their own names great. But now God is saying, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to turn you. The promise is I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be great. I'm going to make your name great. And then he says, so that you will be a blessing. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God was going to bless Abram and turn his family into a nation. And as he turns the family into a nation, they were going to be a blessing to the entire world. So let's see what Abram Abram does, verses 4 through 6. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram's brother had died before this, so Lot's coming along with him. So Abram went, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
when they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he goes, well, how does Abram respond? He obeys. God says, go, and what does he do? He obeys. He goes. And he takes with him Sarai, his wife, and takes Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions and people that have been with them. He was 75 years old at this time. And they go. And they go toward the land of Canaan. Now, this is really important. Because if you remember, who is writing Genesis? Moses is writing Genesis. And Moses is writing Genesis after the Israelites have come out of Egyptian slavery and they're wandering around in the, in the wilderness and they're getting ready to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. So for these Israelites that are listening to this, they're like, oh, this is about us. Like Abram's moving in this direction. He's going to make, God's going to make a great name and turn this nation, which is them, right? Turn this, them into a nation. This is... So their ears start perking up at this point. Now, this is great time for, like, like doubt, though. Because if you went back to chapter 11, you would find out that Sarai was barren. Abram's 75 years old. His wife can't have kids. So at this point, God's saying, I'm going to turn your family into a great nation. And Abram's going, uh, I, I don't know how this works, but, like, I think I know how this works, but this is not going to work itself out this way, right? And you begin to maybe question that a little bit. So then, they're going without a destination, they're going without offspring, and they're going when they're really old at this point. Now, they're going to live for a lot longer than this. But what happens next? Why would they go? Why would they do this? We get a peek into this in Hebrews chapter 11. And this is what the author says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was not to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. So why did he obey? He obeyed because of his faith. This promise was made. God said, go. Why did he go? Why did he obey that? Because he trusted that God was good. He trusted in who God, who God was. So what is he going to, he's going to make another promise to him in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So again, I'm going to make this promise that you're going to become a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And now I'm going to promise you this land. Again, for those wandering Israelites, it's like, yes, this is amazing. This is the promise. And what is Abram's response, he sets up an altar, a place where he offered sacrifices. He made offerings to the Lord in worship. And you set those up when you had had this encounter with God and you wanted to remember that encounter and you would worship. Oh, this is what God's done. I've met with God. I've experienced God. I'm going to set up this altar and I'm going to worship. So at this point in the story, it's great, right? Hey, Abram, go. Okay, I'm going to obey. Okay, I'm going to promise you some stuff, Abram, as you go. Okay, that's great. I'll just keep going. And he does that through verses 8 and 9 as well. He just keeps going. He sets up these temporary homes, knowing this, this land was not his forever home. When God calls, do you obey and worship? Do you obey? 
And do you worship him when God calls? That's what, that's what Abram did here. And it seems great, but what's going to happen over the course of chapter 12, 13, and 14 is Abram's about to meet reality. Not that that wasn't reality, but that was pretty ideal, right? God talking to God, God's promising him. Then some tough circumstances are going to come up. You know, it's for us like, man, I had this great worship experience with God on a Sunday morning and then I went to work on Monday and I lost my job. I'm loving life. Everything's great. Had great experiences with God and a pandemic hits. Things are great. Love God, love his promises, but me and my spouse are really struggling right now. And reality begins to set in. How will Abram respond? What we're going to find out is that Abram responds in really honorable ways sometimes in faith and really dishonorable ways as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to fly through 12, 13, and 14 here, all right? We're not even going to read the passages. I'm going to just kind of tell you the story of what happened, all right? So just hang on. We'll get to 15, get back into each verse. So... Chapter, the end of chapter 12. So everything's great, and then a famine hits the land. So this reality of suffering comes upon them. How will you respond? Will you continue to follow and obey God when suffering comes? So Abram decides, you know what? I believe God's promises are great, but I gotta take things into my own hands at this point. So he starts to come up with this scheme And he tells his wife, Sarai, who he says is really beautiful. He goes, hey, look, we're going to go down to Egypt. And when we go down to Egypt, you're going to be around Pharaoh and his people. And they're going to ask you if you're married. And you're going to tell them no. You're going to tell them that I'm your sister. Because if you tell them that I'm married to you, they're going to kill me because they want to marry you because you're beautiful. So he crafts this scheme. And they go down there, and that's exactly what happens. They realize that she's beautiful, so Pharaoh takes her into his court where she would be prepared to become one of his wives. And they're like, oh, who's this guy along with you? Oh, that's my brother. Well, he's kind of wealthy, so they bring him in. They give him more stuff, and he's taken God's plan into his own hands at this point. And he begins to lie, and he's deceitful about it. And God sends plagues because of this. And Pharaoh looks at him and is like, what is wrong with you? Did you lie to me? Why did you tell me this? He's like, get out of my country. So God's plan still moves forward. But why would, why would Abram do something like that? Well, if you've got this great promise that you're going to become a great nation and you're experiencing some famine, you're like, uh, if I don't, can't eat anything, I'm going to die. And where's the plan going to go at that point if I die? Because my family is going to become a great nation. It's like, this, this promise seems great for the future, but right now I need to take things into my own hands. You ever been there? Man, I know God's got something great, but well, really, I think I need to try this. Because my plan is understandable. I can kind of see the outcome of my plan. My plan seems to be a little easier than your plan, God. And you begin to go, ah, I I like your promises, but I don't like your plan today. So here he is in this. But God's plan prevails. His plan continues. We come to chapter 13. So Abram... Sarah, Lot, all their possessions, everything, they leave Egypt. When they leave Egypt, they have so much stuff because he's a wealthy person and he's gotten more probably while he's in Egypt. So Abram is there as well 
lots there, and they've got so much stuff that their herdsmen that kind of work for them at this point, their herdsmen start to fight. They start to get into have all this strife because the land isn't big enough for all their stuff. Some of us are like, man, that's a great problem to have, Abram, right? But their land can't hold it. So there's like fighting, infighting, family conflict. So God's promises are great. Famine comes on the land, the reality of suffering, and now the reality of family drama. How many of you been there? Don't raise your hand. Right? <laughs> like family conflict sets in. What are we going to do? We're fighting because there's so much stuff. What are we going to do? Abraham, Abram, sorry, Abram, like comes in. He's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We got to separate, right? We, we got to separate our, our clans and our family from each other. You know, it's, it's similar to maybe there's, you've had a couple rainy days in your household. You've got small kids, a couple rainy days, and then uh, those kids haven't been outside, and they start getting on each other's nerves, right? When they start getting on each other's nerves, they start, like, getting on everybody in the house's nerves at that point. And then at some point, mom or dad has to say, hey, you go to your room, you go to your room and separate. I don't know anything about this. Didn't happen over the last two days at my household at all, right? <laughs> so you, you know that story, though, right? Like, you got to separate. This is, this is not working together. We've got to separate. So, so just a wise thing, I think, for Abram to do at this point. So he tells Lot, hey, this land's been promised to us. So you look out over this land, and in humility, in faith, in humility, Abram goes, hey, Lot, you choose. You choose whatever you want. Was the promise made to Lot? No, the promise was made to Abram. But he goes, you choose. You choose whatever you want. So Lot chooses this land that looks really good. It's the land that... Sodom and Gomorrah were a part of. Some of you know the scripture, the, the Bible stories that are going to come out of that later. But he chooses this land that looks really great. Abram doesn't get the land that looks great. He just trusts the Lord. He's living by faith, even in the midst of this family conflict. So Abram goes and he chooses this, I mean, Lot goes and he chooses this land that is part of Sodom and it's a really wicked place. Well, we get to chapter 14 after Abram's responded with faithful humility. And in chapter 14, you see these kings start to rebel and fight against each other. There's multiple kings and wars are starting to happen in the world at this point. So things are not going well. What started as a promise, go, I'm going to promise you to be a great nation, has now turned into suffering, family drama, and now just evil in the world. God, what are you doing? How, this... That, that promise seemed great, but the reality doesn't seem great at all. So there's wars going on, and these kings actually take over Sodom, and they take in Lot and his family and all his possessions. And at this point, somebody, as they've been taken over, somebody escapes and goes and tells Abram what's happened. And Abram in a kind of Liam Neeson movie-like thing right here. My, my nephew's been taken? No, 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 this is not how this is going to work. He trains up 318 men to go fight against these people and gets his nephew back, all the possessions. And then this king of Sodom comes to him like, man, I want to bless you. That was amazing. Everything's great. And alongside this king comes this guy named Melchizedek, all right? 
Some of you may be familiar with Melchizedek when we talk through Hebrews, all right? He was this kind of strange character that doesn't show up. This kind of the time he shows up is really small. I wish we had more time to go into it. But this guy named Melchizedek is actually a king, and he's also a priest. Later on, God didn't allow that to happen because there's some pretty big conflicts of interest, right? If you're the king and the priest at the same time. But for Melchizedek, he was recognized as somebody superior. So Abram, what he does is in the midst of this. So he's meeting with this other king. Now he's meeting with Melchizedek. And he recognizes Melchizedek's superiority and he offers a tithe. He offers like 10% of his, his stuff to Melchizedek. Hey, you take it. And in the midst of all that's going on in faith, Abram's generous. He's generous with what he has because he believes a promise is greater. The, the inheritance to come is greater than what he can cling to right now. And there's this temptation for worldly possessions and worldly fame because the other king that's there with them says, hey, well, if you're going to give everything to him, I'm going to give everything to you. And Abram goes, no, 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 that's, I don't need that. That's not how this works. Right? No, you, you keep that and then you distribute it to whoever you want. So you see this generous giving heart that Abram has, all because of his faith. My inheritance to come is greater So I'm going to not just hold on to the things that I have here. I'm not going to try to find worldly fame, all right? So some of you are like, I don't know what's happening. There's a lot of stories that are happening right here, all right? Let me give you a quick recap. God says go. God promises something great. In the middle of that promise, as Abram and his family obey, really hard things start to happen. The promises seem great for the future, but now he's facing the reality of suffering, the reality of family conflict, and evil in this world, and the temptations to go after the things of this world. So that's where we come to chapter 15. So let's look at verse 1. Now, as we're looking at this, I want you to remember, I just flew through that in about five minutes. This was about a 10-year period that actually happened between chapter 12 and chapter 15, all right? So 10 years have gone on from the time that that original promise has been made. So chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, everything that we've just talked about, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So after all this has happened, and I'm sure all the temptation in Abram's mind is, okay, I've got to hold on to this plan. This is a great promise that God's made. I've got to hold on to it. What God is saying is, hey, you don't have to protect my plan. I got you. I got you. Like, quit trying to hold on to it. You don't have to fear, Abram. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your protection. I'll protect my plan. You don't have to protect it for me. I'm a big boy. I can handle it, right? So that's what he's saying. And then verses 2 and 3. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's going, I get it. You want to be my protector, God, but like you said you're going to make me into a great nation. I still don't have a kid. The one that's going to get my inheritance is not even part of my family. Like, How is this plan going to continue? Because this has been really hard for the last 10 years. How are you going to accomplish this plan? How are you going to do it? Verses 4 and 5. 
and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. He goes, Look, you're really worried about this whole offspring thing. Don't worry about the other person that you think is an heir and going to get all your inheritance. I'm going to send you a son. That's how this plan's going to happen. So for a guy at this stage, probably 85 years old, and a wife that can't have kids, God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And then while you're at it, hey, come outside, and I want you to look at the stars. See how many stars there are? Your descendants are going to be more than that. This is, this is crazy, God. How are you going to do this? And again, this is incredible time for doubt. An 85-year-old and his wife can't have kids. Uh, uh, how are you going to do this? But listen to Abraham, Abram's response in verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, some of your translations say, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Guys, this is a transformational verse in all of the scriptures. Because what made Abram right before the Lord? Was it the sacrifices and offerings that he had made? Because some people go, oh, it's the Old Testament. That's how people became righteous. No, what made Abram righteous? He believed his faith. His faith. He believed and it was credited to his account. It was righteousness was credited to his account before standing. If he stands before God right now, his, his account is in the red completely. But because of his faith, now his credit is full of righteousness because of his faith, because of God's grace and his faith. This is, this is amazing. It didn't say, oh, Abram, you worked really hard to earn my righteousness. You rode the coattails of your family's faith to earn righteousness. No, he said, no, 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 no. You earn righteousness because of your faith. Your inheritance, the spiritual blessings, the promised future, they're all acquired by faith. But here's the crazy thing. This wasn't just for Abram. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, it says this. Paul is writing about Abram. In hope, he believed against hope. Now, what that's saying is he didn't have any hope, but he still had hope, right? That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. <laughs> that's crazy. Paul, you could have used a nicer language, right? Since he was about 100 years old, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Next, there we go. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's good news. That this promise of Abram wasn't just for Abram. Now we get to be the righteousness of God. How? In Christ. That's how we become the righteousness of God. It's this incredible thing. 
Now, let's read verses 7 through 11. See what happens next. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's like, okay, I get that you're going to make this promise, but how are you going to let me know for sure that I'm going to be the one to get this land? God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and a partridge in a pear tree. Sorry. (laughs) And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on carcasses, Abram drove them away. Some of you are like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Like, why? So he's saying, all right, I want you to, I want you to do something, Abram. You want to know how serious I am about this promise that I've made? Let's do this. I want you to take, and I want you to take all these animals, and I want you to cut them in half. It's kind of gruesome here. It's just it's the Bible, all right? I want you to cut them in half, and I want you to place them on each side of a path. Now, we think this is really weird. In this culture, this is how people made covenants. This is how they made vows to each other. If there was a serious vow that needed to be made, you would do this. You would cut animals in half, put them on each side of the path, and then together you would walk down that path. And what you were doing was calling a curse, the curse of death on these animals. You were calling it upon yourself if you did not fulfill the vow. So it's this amazing thing because God's making this covenant and saying, Hey, Abram, this isn't just a promise. This is a promise that I, the Lord your God, am obligated to fulfill. So, you get this weird scenario. Then verses 12 through 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abram falls into this great sleep and God gives him this vision. And he gives him this vision and he says, hey, this land's going to be yours. But your offspring aren't going to take it for 400 years because they're going to be somewhere else for 400 years. Now, who's the original context? The wandering Israelites that have just come out of captivity in Egypt for how long? 400 years. This is amazing stuff, guys. They've come out of this captivity for 400 years. And he goes, hey, they're going to get the land, but it's going to take four generations to get there. So if you're one of those Israelites, I bet you're kind of counting up generations in your mind at that point. Wait, wait, that's us. Like, that's going to be us. That's amazing. Like, this is the land that we're going to get. We're going to get the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. This is good news for that original audience. And what, like, what encouragement. Like, hey, Israelites, don't give up. I know the wilderness is really hard now, but you keep walking by faith. And God's going to do what he promised he's going to do. What an encouragement to those wandering Israelites. Don't give up. Keep walking by faith. Keep walking by faith. Then, another weird thing happens in 17 through 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold... A smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites. You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening again. Remember, these animals are on each side of the path, but this vision that Abram gets is this smoking fire pot and this torch. Now, this was the manifest presence of God. He was showing up in this way. This happens several more times throughout the scriptures, right? God shows himself to Moses at a burning bush. He shows himself on Mount Sinai in a fire. He shows himself to those Israelites that have come out of Egyptian captivity in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they recognize, oh, this is the manifest presence of God. It's not some weird smoking pot and this flaming torch over here, right? It's, this is, we get this. This is the manifest presence of God. And what happens with this torch and this flaming pot? What happens? It goes down the path between the animals. Who else goes down the path with him? Does Abram go down? No. Because this is a promise, a covenant that God is making that he goes, Abram, this one's not on you because you can't keep it. Guess who this covenant's on? It's all on me. And if I can't fulfill this covenant, then I'm a liar. You can kill me, and I'm eternal, and I can't be killed. So he's going, listen, my word is what my word is. I will keep my promises. Don't you worry about it, Abram. When the evil comes, when the suffering comes, when the family conflict comes, don't you worry about protecting my plan. I got this, Abram. That's good news. That is amazing. That's incredible that that God would make a covenant that he's obligated to keep and not even try to say like, oh yeah, you keep it too. He's saying, Abram, you can't do this. You can't pull this off. But that's how good our God is. Like this was a major difference between every other covenant that was made at this time. Every other covenant, two people walked down, two parties walked down this aisle. But here it's only God. He will keep his promises. So how do we live in this gap between our current circumstances and these future promises? Guys, I want you to fill the gap between the present and the future with faith in your covenant-keeping God. Fill the gap between the present and the future with faith in your covenant-keeping God. It's not just, oh yeah, I have faith, I believe in God, right? Like, I, I got a faith. I believe that's going to happen. It's, no, you have faith in a covenant-keeping God that absolutely will keep his promises. That will not waver. Every single time we waver, God will not waver. He's going to keep his promises. And what encouragement to those wandering Israelites that are hearing this for the first time. Hey, just keep faith. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep trusting in the Lord as you wander because the promise is coming. And for us, it's the same thing. We've got to trust. We have to trust even when the suffering comes. We have to trust when the family conflict comes. We have to trust when the evil comes. We have to trust when we're tempted by the things of this world. And how does this faith get expressed then? Well, look back on Abram's life. It gets expressed through obedience. It gets expressed through humility. 
It gets expressed through generosity. It gets expressed through worship. I believe in you, God. I'm, I'm willing to give you everything. It's all yours anyway. Now, here's the amazing thing through this whole process. Is that in Genesis 3, if you remember, God makes this promise to Eve, right? Adam and Eve sin. Oh, this is over. And God says, no, 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 it's not over. There's going to be consequences for your sin. But Eve, I'm going to promise that there's going to be a seed that comes from you. One of your offspring is going to be able to crush the serpent's head, right? And this seed is protected. Even when Cain kills Abel, another son is born, Seth, or um, Shem. I'm just blanked out there. Seth, there you go, right. right. Shem's comes from Noah. So you get this seed and offspring protected over and over and over and over and over. And now again, God's saying, hey, I'm going to protect this offspring. Noah, you don't have anyone, but I'm promising you. And this offspring's going to come, and you're going to turn into a, a great family, and you're going to turn into a great nation, Israel. And then out of Israel, who's going to be the one that crushes the serpent's head ultimately? Out of Israel, the Messiah, Jesus. This is how it's all working out. It's, I wish I had time to go into Galatians 3 and Romans 4 and Acts 3. I don't have time for any of that. But in your study this week, read those. Galatians, th- Galatians 3, Romans 4, Acts 3. All the New Testament authors start talking about all this stuff. What you have here, and you picture that aisle with those dead animals on each side. What a picture of God walking through the broken, bloodied body of Jesus to establish a new covenant with us. That his own son would die when we couldn't keep a covenant. He died for our sins. That's the ultimate picture that we're getting here, guys. And in that, all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. We're not going to read it, but in 1 Corinthians, it talks about all the promises of God say yes in Jesus. And as a result of that, we say amen, right? That's, That's what we're talking about here. So guys, imagine if we were a church that didn't hold tightly to the things of this world. But we trusted and loosened our grip on the things of this world and trusted in the promises that were to come. If we live with so much confidence in what God has for our future, that's the kind of confidence we lived in every present day situation, no matter how hard those situations are. That's the kind of church that we want to be at Veritas. And it's only possible by the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful so grateful to you that you are a covenant-keeping God. Thank you. And Father, I pray for every person in this room who's going through difficult circumstances, the suffering of this world, going through hopeless situations, it seems. I pray that today they would remember that you are a covenant-keeping God that you keep your promises. And I pray that they would walk by faith. They would live by faith until they see the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.